Hello, listeners. We're back this week with yet another installment of our review of The Faith of Donald J. Trump, a spiritual biography from 2019. This week, you're getting chapters 24 through 26 as we get near the end of that book review. Just to let all of you know that as we get near the end of this review, we are looking at options to return to a weekly format even when we're done with these old interstitial episodes between brand new episodes of our book review. If you want to hear more about that, remember you can go become a patron. We did a little uh, test of what we're thinking about doing, reading bad takes from opinion writers all over the interwebs. We also have upcoming a brand new patron-only bonus episode for the month of August over on Patreon.com. And of course, we're getting ready to start the brand new book review of Ben Shapiro's The Right Side of History. That's it for all the housekeeping this week. Remember to find us over on Twitter at NYGBCPod and on Facebook at Facebook.NYG. Find or search. Find us. You'll find us there. That's it. Enjoy the show. You're listening to the Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast, where we read them so you don't have to. Like the show? Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash NYGBC. You should write a book, Fry. People need to know about the can eat more. I'm getting this book on UFOs. Did you know they're real? But there's a huge comic conspiracy to cover it up. Oh, that's just a paranoid fantasy. I want to be a book. You can pick me up, flip through my pages, make sure nobody drew wieners in me. Hello, patron, and welcome to your patron-only bonus Hi. episode for this week, the week of September 23rd, uh, the week before my birthday, uh, which is fantastic. I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> we were having this conversation before. <laughs> Benedict yeah. is coming to town this weekend to visit. Completely uh, coincidentally. <laughs> you would have thought I would have planned it. But it is a complete accident, yeah. a happy yeah. accident, but it yeah. is not on purpose. And uh, I was trying to beg Benedict's wife for my, my birthday present to let him have a cigar with me uh, yeah. at a, a, a fancy cigar bar here in downtown uh-huh. D.C. by the White House. So yep. we'll see how that goes. I I, I the, reason, the reason I'm not allowed is because I used to smoke and it would mm-hmm. be bad. We all did. We all did. We, I mean, we both did. <laughs> not we all. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, why don't we just get right into it? Because we, uh, how are you, Kevin? I, I am, I am fine. Uh, I'm dying Good. a little more on the inside every day. That's you what saw Ruth does. Bader Ginsburg today. I did. I saw Ruth Bader. Get RBG was here. How's she looking? Uh, old, very She's, okay. Fra- very frail old. though, or like, very like she frail. might topple over at any minute. I feel like she, she had... shouldn't be doing these public events. Just put her in a room <laughs> and be she... like, judge these cases, Ruth. <laughs> she has this thing where like. Her head is always craned forward, right? She can't like I don't know if she can't lift her head all the way up, or if it's that's a result spent of so so long struggling to hear what <laughs> barristers are saying. Do you have barristers uh, here? No, though? they're not called barristers. They're called attorneys. Thank what's you very much. What's the difference much. between an attorney and a? What's the difference between someone who who argues in? I don't know any of the terms. I was going to say crown court. You don't have crown courts here. <laughs> no, we don't. In, in like the, so someone who is in the highest court versus like a desk 
desk legal person? Nothing. By They're law, either attorneys. one, either of those persons could do both of those jobs. They're both just attorneys. They're both lawyers. But you pass no the bar, difference. right? Yeah. Okay, so only there's one bar, and once only, once you pass the bar, okay. Well, once you pass the bar, you can do anything that a lawyer can do, okay. and lawyers can do everything, right? That's not. Uh, I don't I, think that's the same in the UK. Well, I do. I don't know if you still have this in the UK, but there is. There are differences between courts of equity and courts of law, right? And so that's no, an old tradition I mean, we, in the US. We, we got civil, rid of those. We have civil and crown court. What is crown court? Criminal court? Kind of, yeah. It's like high crimes, higher crimes. Okay, yeah, I have no idea about that. Uh, and they, um, we got rid of courts of equity in the United States a long time ago. But uh, yeah, I have no clue. But as far as I know, um, your lawyers, there is there is some difference there. I don't know what it is, though. I have well, heard we, the difference we, before. We though. have solicitors and barristers, and yeah. solicitors are mostly the ones that like sit behind a desk and draft legal documents, <laughs> and barristers are the ones that get up and argue in court. So okay. barristers are the ones that are failed actors and solicitors are the ones <laughs> Different that are tests, failed, maybe. I don't failed, know. failed writers. Uh, but anyway, why don't solicitors we get into this week's, uh, actually, before we do that, I will say about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, again, uh, we need to send her all the vitamins. We need to yep. keep that, that glorious package. treasure alive. Uh, she, someone described her to me as a slowly melting angel, uh, and I think that's, that's perfectly appropriate because she does look like she's melting. Uh, <laughs> but she is my hero. <laughs> Yeah. So why go. don't we get into this week's chapter of The Faith of Donald J. Trump, a spiritual biography. This is chapter 24, titled, What the Hell Do You Have to Lose? Uh, which I uh, I replace that with Midnight Cowboys and Mega Pastors. <laughs> I've got it as Ghosts of Christians Past. Mm, very good. Very good. All right. So we start off this chapter talking about Tony Perkins, uh, noted hate group leader. I yep. will mention it. Every time. Every time, yeah. <laughs> and how Tony Perkins' house flooded in the Louisiana floods of 2016. I mean, that is sad. Like, it, a lot of people lost No, no, the, the, other it, people's, the other people's homes being lost was sad, not Tony okay. Perkins. Okay. He leads a hate group, in case you didn't know. Yeah, screw that guy. That's fair. Yeah, it's not sad when bad things happen to him. It's fun. That's why we have schadenfreude. And yeah, this is, by the way, why, a guy... One of, one of the few things the Germans have given us that is good. It is, by the way, a guy who said that hurricanes and floods were God's punishment to the United States. Yeah, that's so. pretty funny. Also, mm -hmm. I like how important Paul Manafort is again in this chapter. Yes, he keeps coming back. <laughs> yeah, but you know why? Because he was important to the campaign at the mm -hmm. time. No, 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 he's just a coffee boy. Just a coffee uh -huh. boy. Yeah, yeah, We yeah. all know that. Uh, so we talk a little bit about these floods in Louisiana 2016. It was August of 2016. And uh, all the complaints that people had about uh, President Obama and Hillary Clinton and the federal government not doing anything, apparently. So I looked this up because mm -hmm. it's one of the I had some time. I did as I well. Don't, I don't normally look things up. So Obama was late to go down. He mm -hmm. was on holiday at the time and did not cut his holiday short to go, which mm -hmm. is a fair criticism. If Trump yeah. did that, we'd be like, fuck that guy. So, yeah, that's a fair criticism. But... 120 million in federal aid had been approved already mm -hmm. as soon as the hurricane hit. So And well there wasn't even a hurricane. There was no hurricane. It wasn't even a tropical depression. It was just a lot of rain. <laughs> it was just some rain. It was literally yeah. just a lot of rain and it caused a lot of flooding. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't even rated a tropical depression. So it didn't even rise to that level. Um and I should say that even though the National Guard was deployed 
And there's a, a, a sentence in this book where David says that there was no uh, no real government assistance, uh, no President yeah, Obama, I mean, no Hillary Clinton. True. I mean, it's yes. the, 100, the fucking National Guard was there. The fucking National Guard was there. Yeah, in aid. So yeah, and also, wouldn't it have been miraculous if Trump had cared this much about Hurricane Maria and, oh, and Puerto I know. Rico? It really would be. It really like, would be. Well, we know how Trump loves the Mexicans because they're all evangelicals, according to David. So, yeah, very weird. Very weird. Yeah. So what we get next, uh, we continue with this story of uh, the, the flooding in Louisiana and Donald Trump going down to visit the floods. And we get a few pages of just people sucking up to Donald Trump more. I wanted to say something different, but you told me to stop using the dick-sucking mm-hmm. jokes. Yeah. Uh, sucking up to Donald Trump as hard as humanly possible. As yeah. hard as possible. This, this, is, is this just... just reminds me of that Robin Williams bit where it's like, um, he's talking about like, why do you keep rebuilding your house in the same place? And <laughs> like just in time for hurricane season every year, like, well, we love the view. Like, <laughs> no, that's perfectly true. Uh, but so we get uh, Tony Perkins saying amazing things about Donald Trump, right? How, how great he was off camera. Funny how we never hear about how great he is on camera to other people. Just it's all off camera. All the good stuff he does and how, how really sentient and how yeah. close he is with people. That all happens off camera. We yeah, never and get I to love see like, it. Oh, he gave a secret donation to these people who, oh, to this a, dude's church. It was Tony Perkins' yes. church, right? Franklin Graham. Well, Franklin yeah. Graham, yes. So Franklin Graham gives a story about how Donald Trump apparently offered a six-figure check. Six-figure check, by the way, that would be about $100,000 from Donald Trump's charity that he scams, I'm sure. uh, And asked Franklin Graham where he should send it, and Graham said to send it to Tony Perkins, the hate leader's church. Yeah. Because it had been damaged in the floods. Mm Mm-hmm. Wonder, now, that's bullshit on two levels. That is bullshit on two levels. Number one, Donald Trump did not donate $100,000 to anyone. I guarantee personally. it. Yeah, no. no way. If there was no a way. donation, it, it came from his charity and it was self-dealing. Number two, Franklin Graham did not turn down an offer of money. No fucking way. Yeah, that's true. Also, the thing is, that, like, and again, this is like, oh, Michael Cohen, uh, you know, he wants to be perceived as as this big businessman, but really he's very kind and does a lot of charity behind the scenes, which is why I'm telling you about it now so that it remains behind the scenes. <laughs> like, you know I what know. I mean? It's, it's very like, oh, well, you don't know how good a man he is. Like, oh, he's yeah. Clearly, yeah. He's very transparently uh, trying to, I don't know, play the world's tiniest violin for Donald <laughs> Trump and how... how <laughs> It is. They, they talk about Trump's, Trump's history of unseen kindness and how yeah. in 2010 he gave a guy a job whose Maytag factory went out of business. Yeah, very strange. That, that didn't – I think – well, David's a bad writer. We've learned that so far. That's true. Uh, but I don't know what he was trying to say there. But uh, – Most Michael, people are bad writers. Yeah, I, that's like, true. This is a, but just like even people who are supposed to be good writers, most of them are. Well, uh, we, we, you know, we do need to uh, work on our book. Are uh, are the reality of John Galt's Valley book? That's what we need to write. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's yeah. so much that, comedy I mean, potential. I, I feel like maybe that's that's one that's on you. I'll edit it. Oh, I, I come on, enough. we can do a, we can do a serialized version. Come on, it'd be a lot of fun. I don't know. I don't know enough about. They the... eventually turn to slavery because, of course, they would. That's where unrestricted yeah. capitalism leads to, because you I view mean, people does, as yeah. property. You know, it's a whole thing. You uh, know, libertarianism. Yeah. <laughs> Look, libertarians are just Republicans who admit they want to bring back discrimination. Uh, 
But the first, we get this chapter talking about Trump's history of unseen kindness, and we get another quote, my favorite whenever they do this, from Michael Cohen, his longtime lawyer, who said, quote, the first thing he thought of was the Judeo-Christian principle of help and charity. Many people don't know about the stories like this because when one gives to charity, the right thing to do is to keep it private. And I put parenthetically, so people don't find out that you're scamming your own charity. Yeah. That's that's right. I thought it was going to be like, I thought you were going to accidentally mix up the quotes and be like, Trump is a danger to the United States, and I'm glad I testified <laughs> against him, but no, sadly not. No, no, that I had that on a different page. So all of this, right, this is all about Donald Trump going down, wait, you know, David keeps cutting away to different things, and he comes back to the, the Louisiana floods, and uh, we get Perkins saying that, or actually someone on Perkins' staff who wrote a Family Research Council blog that week uh, which David said is very prophetic, which is, quote, if Donald Trump wins this election, I think historians will point to a critical visit to flood-ravaged Louisiana as its turning point. No, no, because no. I bet a no. hundred people wrote a hundred different things about the turning point <laughs> in that election. Yeah, and you know uh, let the me remind you, point was? the Comey letter, That's Louisiana the was always going to vote Republican. Yeah. So this made almost no difference. No difference, I guarantee it. But the next thing we move to, uh, the re- majority of the rest of this chapter, is more Donald Trump's black friends, which yeah. has been very fun. We've gotten a lot of that in again, the second half of again, this book. Again, it's just like, th- so there's a quote from uh, the guy, tr- Trump asked for, he said, tonight I'm asking for the vote of every single African-American citizen in this country who wants to see a better future. That did not work out. No. He got, again, 9% of the African-American vote. And about 3% of the African-American female vote. So Yeah, I, I keep bringing this up. I keep writing in my margins. Why do they keep bringing up the African-American vote and the Latino vote when all of Trump's strategies did not work? Because um, everyone knows he's racist. I mean, interestingly, the Latino vote wasn't that bad. He got like 36% of the Latino vote. Right, right, I but it, it it was it was like a percentage point away from the worst that the Republican Republican Party had ever had. Right, which was it was Romney, like yeah. we talked about this before. It was like one point above what Romney got, which was some of the worst yeah. the Republican Party had ever gotten from the Hispanic vote. But mm-hmm. um, after that quote that you just brought up, the very next line that David wrote is the crowd cheered, blew air horns, and started chanting. And I just you know there's a little sign uh, for editing where it's a little uh, little little uh, carrot pointing up. To insert yep. a word in between two. And so between the and crowd, I put that symbol and white, the white crowd, to be more specific about yep. what happened. The specificity is important, David. Mm-hmm. But there's one thing I... Sometimes more large, adjectives are your friend. Very few times for David. But mm-hmm. I, wanted, I wanted to ask you about this because this is something that I realized while reading this chapter. The whole first half of this book and the first few chapters of the second half seemed to have some sort of journalistic distance from them, right, from the from the subject, from Donald Trump, to not be sycophantic well, and drooling all over Trump. Well, only in the sense that Trump. they just didn't write about Donald Trump. That is true. That Do is you know true. what I mean? They, they, were, they were writing about religion. So I, mm-hmm. I assume that was written by more by... Um, Scott Lamb. Lamb, yeah. yeah. And I, I reckon this, this bit of the book is written by Brody mostly. Right. But even the first couple chapters of of this second half, part two, right, where we're talking about the campaign, didn't seem as sycophantic, right? But now, the last few chapters and continuing on through this book, David is drooling all over Donald Trump. He is not even trying to maintain – he's not using quotes from other people to say Donald Trump is great. He is writing his own words saying how great Donald Trump is. If I were being generous – 
And if I thought David Brody were a better writer <laughs> and was aware of what he was doing, I would say, if I have my literature analysis hat on, mm-hmm. that this that is a metaphor for the evangelical embrace of Donald Trump <laughs> as the campaign went on. As soon as Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz disappeared from the book. Starting, starting with some distance, some skeptical distance, and very quickly developing into a full embrace. Yep. No, that's perfect. That is perfect. I did a literature degree, too, in <laughs> fact. <laughs> So we move on, and uh, right now, right, we're talking about African Americans and Donald Trump, and so uh, that quote you read us before was from a speech he gave in Diamonddale, Michigan, which is a suburb of Detroit, Mm -hmm. but now we go back to Detroit for a meeting that Donald Trump had with a large group of African American pastors led by Bishop Wayne Jackson of Mm -hmm. Great Faith Ministries International and the president of the Impact Network on Television. I've never heard of either of those, but I'm sure. Uh, no, uh, I, I don't know. I but have I'm no sure idea. Donald Trump loves it. I'm sure he lo- he watches it all the time. Bishop Jackson knows that Donald Trump watches his TV network all the time. That's why he spends all day tweeting about Fox News. Um, but what we get for the next few pages is how much the African American community loves Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And so we start with this this incident that happened much. at Great Faith Ministries in Detroit, this church where Donald Trump went to meet with these people, and we get a whole paragraph that I will always point out when there is a worthless paragraph of deciding whether or not Donald Trump is going to give a speech in the yeah, church. he gave the speech. Spoiler alert. He uh, gave you know the what? speech. Do you know but what? we get this whole paragraph of Jackson, there was a problem. Trump was wanted to give a speech, but Jackson said no, so he told the media no, but then Trump said he wanted to, and Jackson kind of said, uh, but then Trump was starting to leave the room, and the bishop said, okay, go ahead and give your speech. Well, he said it can't be political, which is the... Right, right, but there was know, no the reason for that paragraph. No, no, just be like Trump gave a speech amid yeah. some tension. But you know what? The speech is all right. It's actually a pretty The speech is not speech. terrible. The speech is like, honestly not terrible, other than uh, uh, he brings up the civil rights movement, uh, which I would mention had to sue Donald Trump and his father for discrimination. Uh, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. But I mean, take it, take it in isolation. If you don't know that, yeah. it's a good speech, right? It's you know the African American faith community, African American churches have been leaders in America and civil rights and all this other stuff. And there's a lot of bullshit about Christian heritage and Christian faith and this, that, and the other. But other than that, it's not a terrible speech. It, it no, is boilerplate. I mean, I mean, what you would it's expect very, from yeah, exactly. It's, a it's a very plain to the crowd. It's not a Trump speech at all. No, no, it was written by somebody else, and I know that because it cites one John chapter four. Which we know was no probably one, right. of, probably one of the verses that David Brody sent to him in that email we learned yeah. about. Hundred <laughs> percent. But of course, when he cites one John chapter four, uh, he says, "See, most groups I speak to don't know that, but we know it. If you want, we can say it together." He was waiting for them to say it, so he didn't yeah. have to say it. No, it, it, of course, no. I bet you nobody in that room actually said it with him. But no. after this speech, the bishop that we've been talking about, Bishop Jackson did this weird prayer shawl thing, gave him a Jewish prayer shawl and a Jewish yeah, study Bible. I, I, I will never get this weird affinity to Israel that evangelicals have. I won't either. It's just really, it's really strange given how bigoted they are towards everyone who isn't an evangelical Christian. I'll never understand it. Yeah, weird. I don't know. But then we jump directly from all this talk about Donald Trump 
with Bishop Jackson and his congregation in Detroit. We just hit return and start a new paragraph, and he's at the Value Voters Summit, and John, John Boyd, Boyd is introducing him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Pat, like, just wildly speculating. Right, right. Well. Look, it's hard. Like, it's hard because oh, this was a such a weird John thing. Voight. There's a picture of John Voigt. So what he was probably thinking about was John Voigt's portrayal of FDR, which I didn't know John Voigt had done. And, <laughs> and then the best bit, a Manhattanite who became the president in the 2001 movie Pearl Harbor. For ble- I'm blessed not to have seen Pearl Harbor. <laughs> blessed. Oh, he also suggests, maybe he was suggesting when Voigt played the bad guy versus Tom Cruise in the first installment of the Mission Very Impossible weird. franchise. Also, FDR, <laughs> again, famous Manhattan socialist mm-hmm. not socialite mm-hmm. socialist well, there's some I, confusion here see but talking about john voigt's career i wrote in the in the uh, side margins here maybe it was when he played gay male prostitute joe buck in midnight cowboy <laughs> maybe, maybe that that's too. the one donald maybe. trump really likes maybe. that's maybe. that is why john voigt won his oscar after all that's the only oscar john voigt ever won mm-hmm. but then and at they, this value and then they talk about isis which is very weird yeah. like isis comes as if from nowhere yeah, at this Values Voter Summit. They talk about fucking Reagan and George W. Bush as yeah. if, like, yeah. At this, so at this Values Voter Summit, of course, Donald Trump talked about ISIS. He had to bring up ISIS because we know Donald Trump, ISIS. That's all he wants to talk about. Mm-hmm. Talked about ISIS. ISIS and the dangers of radical Islam and gave a religious war explanation for what motivated the terrorists. And he said, quote, ISIS is hunting down and exterminating what it calls the Nation of the Cross. And Which is I looked bullshit, it up. because they are literally they're exterminating everybody that yeah, doesn't I, conform to their weird death cult. Yeah, I looked up Nation of the Cross, and the only places I found references to it were on Christian websites. Yeah. I found one case where an ISIS, uh, it was like an American you know, person who went, did, a, did a rogue attack or whatever, a, a lone, lone wolf attack in the United States, used the phrase Nation of the Cross – I cannot uh-huh. find anywhere else that says that ISIS uses that term. So, okay. I don't know. But uh, the last part we get in this chapter, or maybe, is this the last? Yeah. The end of this chapter finishes off <laughs> with Phyllis Schlafly. Which and is a you stupid don't... <laughs> fucking name. Schlafly. It sounds like you've had a stroke halfway <laughs> through saying it. If you don't know Phyllis Schlafly, Phyllis Schlafly uh, was a huge supporter of Barry Goldwater and Ronald Reagan. Barry Goldwater! Barry Goldwater, notorious anti-civil rights right-wing bigot. Barry Goldwater. Uh, The reason that the South switched to Republican. Barry Goldwater, yes. Uh, The beginning, the beginning of it. Uh, He was the the first election where the Republicans saw huge gains across the South because, of course, he was anti-Civil Rights Act of 1964. Uh, so, oh, I didn't tell you. I met someone recently that genuinely said to me he was a huge Trump supporter, mm-hmm. and I I met him and he was like he said to me with all sincerity that the Republicans freed the slaves and they were the party <laughs> of the African Americans. And somebody the, has the, seen the, the next movie. The Democrats were the racist party, and I was like, you know why that's wrong though? Don't, I mean, you're not you're being disingenuous, and he didn't. Wow. Like he, he genuinely didn't. I had to explain to him the whole Southern strategy. And, yeah. and he was like, I will look that up. I was like, you better. <laughs> he won't. I guarantee <laughs> he won't. you he yeah. won't. Big Dinesh Twitter, Twitter follower right there. Yeah. Uh, but they, the reason they bring up Phyllis Schlafly is they, they attribute a lot of Donald Trump's success to Phyllis Schlafly, this person who stopped being uh, relevant after the 1990s. Phyllis Schlafly, of course, was huge in the movement to prevent the Equal Rights Amendment from passing. Mm-hmm. She also a woman who fought against the Equal Rights Amendment, yes. 
So they say there's three things, three things she did that impacted Donald Trump very heavily. And first was that she endorsed Donald Trump early in the primaries. So you get the biggest of the right-wing bigots right there behind Mm -hmm. Donald Trump, who really loved Phyllis Schlafly. Second, they say, she died two months before the general election. Okay. I mean, that was a good (laughs) thing for the country. I don't know about for Donald Trump. (laughs) And third, they say, third, the day after her death, Schlafly's final book was released, The Conservative Case for Trump, which might have to go on our list. No. It might. No. Oh, we're getting to the end. We got to look for a new book. book. I feel like I want to read read Tell Me Lauren. That is definitely true. We got to look for something. But they also bring up her first book, which is called A Choice, Not an Echo, uh, which they say. That I is literally know. meaningless. What does I that mean? Know. What are you talking about? But it sold three million copies, and they say became a manifesto for conservatives who sought to buck the GOP establishment by electing Goldwater in 1965. In other words, the racists who didn't like civil rights in the Republican Party and eventually took over the Republican uh, Party. Okay, I guess it means like no more of the same. So like Maybe. I don't before. know. I have yeah, no I idea no, what this that. lady's that's about. Okay. That's okay. That's okay. But so following that, we jump to talk about the, uh, the basket of deplorables comment, right? Which is not so, untrue. That, no. She no. got so much unfair stick for that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, they say, quote, during the 2016 campaign, Trump supporters were often described as crazed, nationalistic, gullible, and bigoted, to name just a few of the pejoratives accurately, I would say. Yeah. Very accurately. Uh, and they bring up, of course, the, the direct quote from uh, Hillary Clinton. They tie that to Donald Tr- or, uh, President Barack Obama's uh, statement where he said they are people who bitterly cling to their guns and God. Also accurate. Great quote. Great Very, quote. very fantastic quote. One of, one of Barack Obama's best, actually, to be that honest. Great from quotes. our perspective, that's one of my favorite Barack Obama quotes. Um, and then they contrast that with Mike Huckabee, who described them as people who like God, guns, grits, and gravy. So I guess I mean, fat how is bastards. That, how is that different, really? Uh, I don't like, know. It's, it's the same shit. <laughs> anyway. It's perspective, man. It's all about perspective. Yeah, because a black dude said it. It's insulting. So we end this chapter with Mike Pence going to visit Adams County, Pennsylvania. And I hope you noticed this like I did. The beginning of this chapter says, quote, Situated in Adams County, Pennsylvania... The area is roughly 95% white and plenty blue-collar, too. What? What is situated in Adams County? You didn't mention the city. Just poor (laughs) editing. Just very poor editing. That's that's really bad. But they say sending Pence was a great idea in a place with a lot of Catholics because he grew up Catholic and switched to evangelical. So he understood... Why the Catholics are evil. <laughs> I think that's the point they were trying to get to. <laughs> but they, they bring up this idea of providence, right? I believe in providence for the course of the nation, Mike Pence said. Uh, oh, Gettysburg. Gettysburg is the town, mm. uh, that I, it turns out. I don't – wait, no, that doesn't make sense. Gettysburg is not in Pennsylvania, is it? Yeah, it is. Okay, it is. So I guess it was Gettysburg. They just don't tell us where until the end of the paragraph. Uh but so the reason they bring up Providence is they then jump into a conversation between Robert Jeffress and Donald Trump while they're on Trump's campaign plane. And he says, quote, with that backdrop, after the two of them finished munching on Wendy's cheeseburgers, and I, uh, I uh, to put it in an editor's note to change that to C, slamming their fat, greasy faces full of Wendy's Ew. cheeseburgers, the topic turned to things of God. And 
Robert Jeffress said, quote, Mr. Trump, I believe you're going to be the next president of the United States. And if that happens, it's because God has a special purpose for you. To which Trump asked Jeffress, well, tell me something, Pastor. Do you believe God put President Obama into office? And Jeffress replied simply and succinctly, yes, sir, I do. I think every leader who holds a place of authority is there by God's predetermined plan. That's the end of the chapter, and I expect David had to edit out. That's a pretty funny question. I think David had to edit out the paragraphs of home uh, of racist slurs that followed that uh, about Possibly. how Obama was was the antichrist who was going to be overcome by Donald Trump or something like that. Possibly, it's a pretty funny question, though. Actually, it, you, it, you know, it, it is. It, it, it isn't. Because that is the kind of thing that I think of whenever they say, uh, God has a plan for everything, and they're simultaneously holding a, a you know, a effigy of Obama or something, like a burning effigy of President yeah, Obama. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, what, I mean, this is the thing. It's like, oh, so God planned Benghazi then, so we're cool with it. Okay, yeah, so it's don't God's complain. Plan. Don't complain. God's plan. Yeah, exactly. It's all God's plan. Don't complain. Don't complain. Weird. Uh, anyways. Weird. Whenever the negative stuff happens, it's like. <laughs> I know, I know. Oh, God planned the, the Louisiana floods. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Look, so this was a very bad and very scatterbrained chapter. It was hard for us to keep track of this chapter because it it's one of those ones that is all over the place and, again, does not seem to ha- really have a point. Uh, I couldn't pick up a central point from this chapter. Could you? No. Not at all. So, uh, anyways, we are getting near the end of this book. The next one is chapter 25. There are 30 chapters in this book. So we are nearly... And in the final segment this week, we get back to our review of The Faith of Donald J. Trump, a spiritual biography, with chapter 25. This one is titled, What Happens in Vegas? Uh, and my alternate chapter title was, Hashtag Never Hillary. Yeah, mine was, uh, Trump Loves the Mexicans. <laughs> always always good. The, the, the latter half of this book has been a lot of, Trump has a blank friend. That has been Boarding. a lot yeah, a of lot the of most Boarding. of us. So we get this chapter starting off. With Samuel Rodriguez, who we will remember from earlier in the in the book, yep. uh, the president of the national National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference, and an absolutely non sequitur comment from him, uh, other than yeah. Donald Trump's going to get some Hispanic vote. Donald Trump got more than five percent of the Hispanic vote. Right, that's the, right. That's the point here. But the rest of this chapter is not about the Hispanics. No, right. it's about a conference in Vegas with Latino leaders. Yep. That so seems to have gone we get very as, as David loves David loves his non sequiturs. He really does. He does. He just doesn't he does. have an art for the funny ones. He's just not very good at that. No. But uh, we get this quote from Samuel Rodriguez, which is quote: "Do we ignore his rhetoric and vote for religious liberty in the Supreme Court, or do we bow down to his rhetoric and let the Supreme Court go to waste and lose our religious liberty?" Which I just want to say is a false choice. Those were not yeah. the two options. I mean, Hillary Clinton it, it is, was not, Hillary Clinton was no, not going to throw you in the gulag on religious liberty. But I, I, you know, that's what people saw it coming down to in the end. Right. Basically, and, I mean, that's, but we seemingly get a, a recognition of how terrible Donald Trump is when they say, "Quote: Rodriguez felt that the Latino community is so Christian that the Supreme Court trumps Trump." So yeah. that is a recognition of a sorts of how terrible Donald Trump is. Yeah. Do we hold our nose to try and get rid of? Uh, abortion rights for people that's right. that's what this is about and right. that's what the that's actually what the latter half of this book has largely been about and then we get this weird description of this whole meeting that's just weird it talks about how big trump's building is 
um they talk about the uh, and he talks about this gathering um with pastors and business people and he 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 seems to have this passer down with the religious people he says i'm a protestant presbyterian christian i'm gonna get rid of the johnson amendment yes like he knows exactly what they want to hear he is a one-trick pony yeah, well, exactly, but it works. I mean, it, it's this like salesmanship where he he gets a good reaction to something and then he repeats it ad infinitum, the to to the point where people believe him, whether it's true or not. So if mm-hmm. he, he says I'm a Protestant Presbyterian, blah 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 blah. Yeah, and then, the, I mean, the yeah. person who's sort of leading us through this part of the chapter, the person we're tied to, right, for this part of the chapter, is a guy named Urabanzo. Urabanzo, I just love that name. Uh, his actual name is Pasquale Urabanzo. He's the associate pastor. Urabasso. Urabasso. I'm sorry. Uh, the associate yeah, yeah, pastor of the International Church of Las Vegas, which is a Las Vegas megachurch, as you may uh, mm-hmm. expect. And you know, I just got to say, something has bothered me. Your book jacket has been upside down for the last few weeks, and you hold it up so I can see it, and that bothers me. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but so anyway, the story we're getting is of this guy, Pasquale Urabanzo, going to this meeting. Urabasso. I'm so, Why are you saying it that way? There's no N in it. I know, but it's like, you know, sometimes you just got to say it the right way. Like the Verrazano but Bridge the was missing way. a Z until the other day. Apparently you just fixed it. Right? <laughs> Carry on. Yeah, heard something about that. Uh, anyways, Urabazo. I will say, Urabazo, uh, uh-huh. he gives he, he gives his reason why he thinks Obama won Nevada. And he says, quote, he won because he did something that got the Hispanic vote. Because he did he something. He had a party. He did something. Essentially. He rented the Mandalay Bay and did a party there for young Hispanics, which lasted for two or three days. And I would say that party was not just for young Hispanics. Look, no. that was a that was an Obama campaign event at the Mandalay Bay, uh, which like he's playing it off like yeah Donald Obama just came here and got the Hispanics and that's how he won the state right. It has nothing through a big quinceanera for yeah. one girl and then invited everyone <laughs> in the state. It has nothing to do with Obama's massive popularity and the fact that no. everyone loved him. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure it had nothing to do with that. But then we get them mentioning, because Donald Trump wanted to go give a speech at the International Church of Las Vegas, but the senior pastor, a guy named Paul Goulet, I would guess, yeah. he's Canadian, so it's probably a French-Canadian last yeah, name, right? Yeah, it's probably French Goulet. Uh, by the way, Goulet. amazing Goulet. French restaurant we went for, to for brunch this weekend, right? Pretty fantastic. The Diplomat, yeah. Le good. Diplomat, yeah. Uh, I had plenty of oofs Benedict. It was good. It was it very is. good. You did have lots of earths, Kevin. But instead, he invited Donald Trump to come to their school, which I guess is a Christian school, uh, to highlight the, quote, battle we are having in our state for school choice, By which I would uh-huh. remind everyone school choice really means giving federal government money to Christian schools. That's what they mean yeah, by school choice. Obviously, you shouldn't. And then, yeah, he walks in the door and was greeted with God Bless America, sung by over 200 (laughs) students in the foyer, which A, seems extremely creepy, Mm -hmm. and B, doesn't seem compliant with the whole church and state thing. No, no, this is the the private school. This is the private school. Yeah, but I feel like you still shouldn't be allowed to sing it at the president. But he wasn't then. He was a candidate. Uh, And even so, they still would. Yeah, I know. Uh, but the the thing that I picked up on here is that they presented Trump with a vision Bible. Now, I could not find what that is, but he puts vision Bible in quotes. So, quote, vision Bible, unquote. 
Yeah. I want to know what that is. I just want to put that out there to our listeners. If somebody can figure yeah, can out for me what, what a vision, vision Bible is. is. Because it yeah. sounds like the name of like a comic book Bible, doesn't it? That it sounds, sounds like bit, what yeah, it would be. Visions Bible, yeah. I'm very excited to find out what that is. I hope somebody can figure it out for me. Uh, but uh, yeah, and then they they hold on. They, they they then anoint Trump in oil, which is an extremely <laughs> weird. Like it becomes an extremely greasy right, boy. Right, right. But this this story is great because it's told by such a terrible writer. It's one of those stories yeah. that you you start telling because it was hilarious to you when you were there, but you realize halfway through the story, and then you're like laughing halfway funny. through, and then you go, "I guess you had to exactly." Be there and it's one the of story. those stories. So it's about a friend of theirs, Troy Martinez, who is a pastor, uh, and they say he's about 260 pounds with a full Fu Manchu. He looks like a biker. Uh, so this is the quote I'm saying. So while we're praying for him, he says, Mr. Trump, can I anoint you in oil? And Mr. Trump says, yeah, you can. Can I grace you like a hog? <laughs> but you could tell that the Secret Service, I mean, they just turned and looked at him. It was hilarious. That is exactly that kind of story yeah. that you shouldn't have started telling. <laughs> I, I guess I guess he had to be there. I guess I guess you had to be there. I guess you had to be there. Yeah. But we then get a full yeah. paragraph of Paul Goulet, this pastor who none of us have ever heard of before, uh, getting a first-hand lesson in false reporting. So this is the fake mm -hmm. news stuff, right? Uh, they got called. This is quote. They got calls asking about the massive protest at the school when, in fact, nobody even knew Trump was coming. It was a confidential, non-publicized event. Then a story went out, out that the church and school were getting paid off by the campaign to make Trump look better with Hispanics. Finally, one story even reported that Trump had terrified several students in the first grade class, though the entire visit was filmed and reveals nothing but delighted kids. Now, you will be surprised, or not, to find out that there is no citation for any of those supposed stories in the footnotes no. of this book. No citations, or endnotes, I should say. Uh, yeah. And that Googling, Anything. Googling like I did, notes, Googling like I did for 10 minutes trying to find any of them returns nothing. What they did put in was that all of these came from an interview with Paul Goulet. So Paul Goulet told yeah. them that these things happen, to which I would this say, David, you just got a firsthand lesson in false reporting. You, you just got punked. Yeah. Anyway, we then get the Access Hollywood tape, which is very much not yes. false reporting. So the reaction among evangelicals was apparently unequivocal in its condemnation of the lewd comments, which, you know, maybe the comments, but not the actions. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, he said pussy. Uh -huh. Look, well, and we know, you know that when that came out, we did not get universal condemnation. Right, we got a lot no, of people, we get, a lot we got of evangelicals spin, spinning. We got, and, it's yeah. locker room talk. Exactly. I don't appreciate the language, but you know, he is who he is, and he talks locker room talk and whatever. Right, and we get a, a um, but yeah, there was there was not universal condemnation. And then I mean, something that's interesting to me is you get then get people like. Um, Richard Land saying that as long as he's running against Hillary Clinton, there's nothing he can do that matters. Mm -hmm. And then Lance Walnew, whoever Lance he Wall is. Lance Walnew, terrible guy, yeah. Yeah, it immediately created a Facebook video that went viral with millions of views to explain how he th how to think about the tape in, in like a less judgmental way, which, you know, unequivocal. That's but I, I want to point out the language of that. Explaining how to think about the tape. I, yeah, I, that language is yeah. That's that is genuinely. It is. I hate that, but it is. I hate referencing <laughs> 1984, but it is though. And Walnow said this. Yeah. He said, "Quote: Walnow argued that when Trump married Melania, he decided that he was going to judge the one area of his life that was out of control. 
The guy doesn't drink, he doesn't smoke, but he was a womanizer billionaire, and he ended that, which we now know he absolutely did not. Yeah, that doesn't look great no, now. No, really Dan- I mean, the Stormy Daniels stuff may well have actually <laughs> turned the election. Uh, if, if it had come out then, yeah, I think I think it probably would. Yeah, yeah, if would. it had come out after they'd rationalized all this by being like, oh, well, he's committed to Melania But let's now, be honest, let's be honest, what would he have lost? 5% among evangelicals? It would have been enough maybe to turn the election, but 5% probably? yeah. It it might have been yeah, enough. Maybe. I mean, it, it might not. Well, because I mean, the 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 thing is, where the election was won was not in evangelical areas. It was Mich- Michigan. Right. But there Wisconsin. there are still evangelicals so, there. So he might not have dropped. Yeah, I know, but he might not have dropped enough in those regions that it would have actually made a difference. But he definitely would have got less of the vote. I think if that had been proven to be true, or or people might have genuinely abandoned him if he'd been proven to have another affair after all. I don't this. know. Maybe I'm just becoming um, more cynical by the day, but. I think people had already made up their mind they were going to vote for him no matter what. Probably. Probably. So the next few pages we get are people reacting to the Access Hollywood tape. And, of course, as we know, they all ended up just deciding to support Donald Trump anyway. Uh, And Mm -hmm. one person we get is uh, Ralph Reed, who we've talked about before, who is the leader of the Faith and Freedom Coalition, right? He's the guy doing the get out the vote effort. I think he's the one that got the money from the chicken farmer, right? The nine million from the quote unquote chicken farmer. Uh, I, don't I believe that was Ralph saying. Reed. But Reed said, or Reed believed, this is a quote Reed believed that evangelical voters would be repulsed by Trump's decades old comments, but that still wouldn't overturn their sense that handing Hillary the White House could do irreversible damage to the country. And I think. Irreversible damage. Right. I yeah. think that just sets it all up. It, 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 we've gone back to that time and time again in this book that they absolutely hated Hillary. And I will say they were convinced by their pastors, by Fox News, by Breitbart, by Drudge, by everybody they listened to, by the CBN, by David fucking Brody. They were convinced by all these people that Hillary was all of the evil things that they claimed she was, even though, honestly, a Hillary Clinton presidency would have just been a continuation of the Obama years, where, as we saw, nothing bad happened to the evangelicals. Nothing. No. They weren't in gulags, or they wouldn't have been out there voting. Yeah. Quite. But then we get praise for um, Donald Trump in the, you, in the debates. Yeah, well, I mean, he talks about third-term abortion, right. which is not really a thing that no. happens very often. Well, they bring up, yeah. and it's only when it's a serious danger to the to the mother. Nobody nobody right. volunteers for a third-term abortion, nor is it legal. Right. Because because Donald so, Trump b- brought up late-term abortion, right? A fake story about late-term abortion in one of the debates, and uh, David Brody brings up uh, another one of those doctored tapes of somebody talking about late-term abortion, right? Um, Sorry, I said and, third term. I meant late term. Yeah, yeah, Sorry. late term. As a as a way of explaining, you know, trying to explain again through all of this why evangelicals still voted for Donald Trump. Yeah, I mean, it's all about all abortion. That, 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 I mean, that's that's my takeaway from this book is that they would have supported anyone that was pro uh, pro. They would have supported a literal plate full of shit if yeah. it had a a a toothpick with a sign it said, in it that said we'll I will I will Brett get rid Kavanaugh, of Roe v Wade. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, honestly. That's how far it goes. Uh, but ending off this chapter, well, not quite yet, but we get a story of Donald Trump hanging out with Pat Robertson uh, and going over people. to Regent University, which I will say is one of those universities that advertises a lot because they can't get decent students. So they just oh, okay. have to beg people to come and pay them to go there. Uh, but I did. I did Google and I found out that uh, Tony Hale went there. Buster Blue. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. He went to Regent University. 
found out. Ooh. So they got one decent person, right? Who's probably a lot yeah. different than I mean, when I he went there. I don't know about his academics, but certainly. Right, right. But he's funny, as, he's funny as Buster, out. though. You know, he's got one yeah, thing going he's for him. Good. He's good in Veep, too. Right. Uh, but the, the other part of this is that story about Pat Robertson you get. We get a story of Donald Trump not listening to Pat Robertson's advice. Oh, not at all. Which is another one of those, why do you put this in here? Yeah, why is this in the book? Just so, cut uh, the book in, make the book a pamphlet. Like. Yeah. So after this rally at Regent University, um, they bring up the Alicia Machado uh, incident, which is the winner of the 1996 Miss Universe competition from Venezuela. Yeah. She's the one that claimed Donald Trump treated her like trash after she started gaining some weight. And David says gaining a lot of weight, I would say, Look at that woman. She has never had a lot of weight on her in her life. Uh, she's still, <laughs> right. She's still in fantastic shape. But um, D- Donald Trump was hammering her at the time uh, because he's a yeah. misogynistic asshole. And Pat Robertson told him to move on. To which yeah. Donald says, "No, no, fuck you." End of story. I'm next paragraph. Being a misogynist. Yeah. <laughs> but they 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 use that to go into. Uh, and he said they, of course, this was in Virginia. Regent University is in Virginia. And they say that the takeaway uh, for the purposes of this book isn't that Donald Trump lost in Virginia. It's that he's loyal to his friends because he showed up yeah. for a free venue for a political rally in Virginia that Pat Robertson provided. I guess. Yeah. Not yeah, sure weird. how that works. And then, not I mean, sure. we close out we close out the chapter with. It just being like, oh, well, then Donald Trump pretended to be a Christian again for a bit and everything was fine and the Christians voted for him, which again seems to be the thrust. It's like, fool me once, shame on me. (laughs) Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Fool me a thousand times. I'm a Christian. (laughs) But we get, look, David has done this so many times and I have to keep pointing it out, getting so close to the truth. So, so close to the truth. Because he asks the hypothetical question he has asked many times throughout this book, where he asks, why would Trump sit down with the Christian Broadcasting Network, right? How many times has he asked that in this book? Eight yeah, or nine, great probably. Great he keeps question. asking it. But then he, an- he answers his own hypothetical in a way by saying, well, the easy, lazy answer is that he did it for political purposes, knowing that without the evangelical base of the Republican Party, he had no shot. Well, of course, that's true. Comma, but if you stop there, you miss the deeper meaning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, it should sure, also sure. not be lost on anyone that Trump's true DNA is that of an outsider, fearless, authentic, and free from the shackles of consultants and GOP operatives. None of that makes any sense, right? No. Because David is in part right. He was right with the first answer, uh, the the first part of that, where he said he did it for political purposes, which is exactly mm-hmm. what. All of those consultants and GOP operatives would have told him to do, and indeed, the ones he paid did tell him to do it, which, David, that's the reason you got those phone calls. Yeah. And B, exactly. he's missing the point that the Republican Party, since Romney, because he criticizes Romney a little bit for not being as open to the evangelicals, and same thing with John McCain. He's a Mormon. But he misses the point that the Republican Party has become so much more polarized and religiously motivated than it was a mere decade ago which has massively increased uh, the amount of, of attention that Republican candidates have to pay to the evangelicals because they're losing everyone else in their party, but they're retaining yeah. the evangelicals and the most religiously yeah. motivated people there are. That's true. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that is just about the end of this chapter. There's one last thing uh, where they talk about him going back to the International Church of Las Vegas, 
uh, apparently incognito, claiming it was incognito and a yeah. huge and a huge trench coat. Yeah, bullshit. And then, of course, the pastor, oh, out of nowhere, pulled him up on the stage to tell everyone he was oh, there. Oh, shocked. Yeah. yeah. And then they all prayed over him. And they just, they do this in the creepy way, right? All their, their wording is always creepy about this. And they say, Pastor Denise prophesied over him. It was yeah, an weird. excellent word. That's, yeah. isn't that just weird? Yeah, I don't like that. I feel creepy. That's on that. Uh, but anyway, I will, as I always do, read the last paragraph of the chapter, which is, quote, it starts off with what I just said, and then continues, quote, And then he stayed for the preaching. Denise preached, and the word was, Pray for the servant that he would open his eyes. I was sitting next to Donald Trump, and when Pastor Denise said, You can see that there's more for him than against him. Not true. Never were more for him than against him. I leaned over to Trump and said, Did you hear what she just said? She said that there's more for you than there is against you. Trump smiled and said, that's great. There's more for me than there is against me. <laughs> cool. <laughs> and then he was Nine days president. later, Trump was elected president. Oh, disgusting. Disgusting. Anyways, if you want chapter 26... And in the final segment, we return with our review of The Faith of Donald J. Trump, a spiritual biography, with Chapter 26, titled The Art of the Unreal. Uh, my alternate chapter title, for, chapter title for this, The Art of the Election Steal. <laughs> nice. Is the next chapter The Art of the Supreme Court Steal? Oh, God. That's, that's that what is, we get this week. We get Chapter is. 26 is about the election, the actual election day for you know you know how david likes to jump back and forth to different times for no apparent reason uh but for the most part it's about the actual election day and then the next one is about abortion and the supreme court and gorsuch so good good time for these two chapters yeah, to be what we're reading about extremely good time um i didn't really have an alternate chapter title for this one other than just like Making up slogans. <laughs> Huzzah. <laughs> See, but they did do this at the very beginning. Uh, I actually, this this was kind of good. This was a tiny bit of humor from David. Uh, he says, or as Democrats like to call it, referring to election night, Hillary and the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Yeah, actually, nobody has funny. ever called it that. No, but nobody has ever called it that. No, but he's making a joke there. He's I am, making a joke. No, no, but I, did I you I'm have sorry, those books? Did you have those books in the UK? Uh, maybe. It was like a uh, little I mean, kid in this terrible, the... horrible, no good, very bad day. I had those books growing up, so that's why no, I thought I, it was I've heard it, but I have lost all uh, sympathy for any kind of humor that he's attempting, so I just got angry at that. Okay. Uh, I just got angry reading these chapters <laughs> generally. And again, like it, 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 all this proves is it was all about the Supreme Court, okay. which is what we've said a hundred times. But So we start off this chapter uh, with Donald Trump and Jerry Falwell having another one of their famous phone calls, because we know <sighs> Donald Trump is always on the phone with every always single religious leader that David knows. That's all he does. That's all he spends his time doing is watching Christian Broadcasting Network and being on the phone with evangelical leaders. That's all he does that we've learned from David in this book. But Falwell, <laughs> this is on election night. Uh, Donald Trump is saying that the exit polls look bad. And Falwell says, I know you're going to win it. I know it. Too much has happened that's been miraculous this year. For it not to be of God, you're going to win. What Weird. happened in 2016 that was miraculous? 2016 yeah. was a shit year. That was a was garbage. Shit, yeah. Even before Donald Trump, that was a bad year. A very, very yeah. bad year. 
Yep, was not good. I, I don't remember specifically what happened, but I remember lots of people yelling 2016 and shaking their fists. Yeah, so. I know. <laughs> well, we also get, um, we get uh, David giving credit for Donald Trump's win to the evangelicals, which is... Yeah, as, in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. which is like a weird place to claim that the evangelicals made a difference. Yeah, well, I want to point out, like you just said, who actually won the election for Donald Trump are voters who hadn't voted in the last several cycles but were awakened yeah. by false claims about job growth and racism to show up at the polls yeah. and vote. That's who won the election. That's who actually made the difference. Because all these evangelicals usually vote anyway, right? And Donald yeah, Trump exactly. got, I think, what was it, 2 or 3% higher of the evangelical vote? Yeah. I think it was 2%. I mean, he said 81%, but as a right. record turnout But the last election nominee, was 79% like, of evangelicals. Yeah, for a fucking Mormon. Exactly. Exactly, which uh, it's not, not not really a huge difference. Um, not really compatible. But there was a huge increase in those voters who hadn't voted in previous elections. That's what I'm saying is that's where uh, the actual difference was made. But Donald Trump makes – he told – this is the first interview David did with him in the Oval Office – said, quote, I think that our country was becoming unbelievably one-sided and going in the wrong direction. You saw the rules and regulations that they were instituting against faith – and it was getting really bad. It was almost like they wanted to stomp it out. Can you point yeah. out one fucking regulation to me that was instituted that was against faith? Donald Trump no. can't. David can't. Exist. Nobody can because it didn't fucking happen. No. No, that's true. Um, and yeah, they, 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 he then goes on to talk about the nominating strict constructionist Supreme Court mm-hmm. justices, which is, you know, exactly, exactly what we said. Um, I, I, like, Trump had something evangelicals, ev- evangelicals liked, authenticity. Bullshit. And then it goes, like, how how babyish are these people <laughs> that is like, the occasional hell or damn <laughs> flew from his lips. I know. Like, as if that makes a fucking difference. Grow the fuck up, honestly. Uh, but we get this thing that I also think is very revealing. It's this whole paragraph where David writes about how Donald Trump, uh, he showed his dedication to evangelicals by the people he chose to run various departments and to be in his cabinet. And in particular, David lists these ones. Ken Blackwell, a board member of the pro-family, see anti-LGBT hate group, the Family Research Council, Mm -hmm. to run his domestic policy transition team. His cabinet nominees, who David describes as reading like a Believers in Politics all-star team, uh, so the one that gets destroyed by the Harlem Globetrotters every week, Uh, (laughs) Attorney General Jeff Sessions, uh, Ben Carson, Mike Pompeo, Scott Pruitt, a deacon at his church, Rick Perry, Betsy DeVos, Sonny Perdue, and Nikki Haley. And it just occurs to me... All wildly incompetent. Wildly incompetent, who had no experience in the areas they were now supposed to be in charge of at the highest level. Betsy DeVos is probably the best and most hilarious example of that, who just had to sit there and say, no, I know nothing about that, to all the questions he was asked, and still was confirmed. Jesus Christ. Extremely good. Extremely good. Very educated woman. 
Uh, and then, yeah, Robertson. James Robertson. What's his name? James Robertson. James Robertson, which just looks like a typo. I know. It should Every have an N. That's one of those names Robin, that I feel like Robinson. should have an N. Oh, so bad. Yeah, yeah. So as he says that he was the first person to suggest Rick Perry as an energy secretary. It was like, to try to kill the Earth? <laughs> See, but that's the thing. Like, that's the thing is that he thinks that that's a sign of how good Donald Trump is. Because he listened yeah. to a pastor with no experience in anything besides pasting about who he should pick as the energy secretary. So he takes that yeah. as a sign of how good Trump is when the rest of us look at that and go, yeah. no, under Obama, I, I also, under Obama, we had a Nobel Prize winning physicist leading the Department of Energy. That's what we need. God damn it. Yeah, I, I, the, the other thing I love about this, and I think this is unintentional, I'm going to choose to believe it's unintentional, but it's fucking hilarious, that like a paragraph oh. after they were like, oh yeah, we confirmed Rick Perry as energy sec- secretary, you know, Rick Perry who famously is a climate change <laughs> denier. And then the next paragraph, yes, the next like, yes. significant paragraph begins with the 48 degree temperature <laughs> on inauguration day 2017 would go down in the record books as the fourth warmest January <laughs> inaugural temperature ever. Oh really? Yeah. So maybe like the world is experiencing something like, you know, global warming. <laughs> I loved that. I I loved that too. I noticed that. It's highlighted in my book. But the next thing we move <laughs> on to is the actual inauguration itself. And of course, we know that Donald Trump it by no means broke any records with the size of his inauguration crowd. But David is still trying to give him the most lukewarm and worthless win possible here by saying that he did break a record on his inauguration day. More prayers were read during his inaugural ceremony than any other yeah. presidential inaugural in American very, history. Very weird. Whoop-de-fucking-do. Yeah, I, I have anything to say on that. Uh, but Trump does love to watch Christian oh, television, good. and there's a there's a weird. You know how we? You know how I know Donald up. Trump has never watched Christian television. He's never tweeted about it. And you know what yeah, Donald Trump is watching because he fucking tweets about it. That that's true. There's also just just some weird stuff. It like James Robinson <laughs> is really making the most of his yeah. interviews here. He says so. One of Trump. Well, this is another guy. <laughs> you no, know, David is you know, James David. Robinson. Right through his interview with David is telling us, oh, I'm another guy who Donald Trump is constantly on the phone on and gets to be at the White House all the time. Yeah. So he okay. Let me just read this. They get into an SUV and Robinson turned mm-hmm. to Trump and felt led to pray for him. One oh, of Trump's God. assistants joined in. Robinson remembers it clearly. I put my hands on their shoulders and I said, Sir, we're going to give this big rugged piece of clay straight into the hands <laughs> of the master potter. Every bit of it. And we're going to ask God to wait, shape Wait, wait, wait. wait. Say Potter for me again. Potter, say Potter for Potter, me again. Potter, now say Potter. Harry. Harry. Now say Potter. Potter. Ah, you said it. Okay. Now You're continue. a wizard, Harry. Um, <laughs> and we're going to ask God to shape you into a vessel of honor. Wild. <laughs> what a wild but the thing. best part is... I, you are a giant piece of clay. <laughs> like, what? The, the best part of this is, how many times in this book have we gotten, you know, story about somebody, some Christian, praying about Donald Trump or saying nice things to Donald Trump, and Donald Trump's reactions that are supposed to be so amazing, right? And they're always built up as being the most amazing thing. The way Donald Trump reacts to this, you know, they, they'll usually be like a paragraph-long prayer that someone said for Donald Trump. Yeah. And then his reaction, they, they praise his reaction to it. And it is always the most worthless, dumb thing anyone could yeah. say yeah, in yeah. response to that. Because his response to what you just said, 
he looked at Robinson. I, I want to say it, Robinson. I know, I know. Robinson. Robinson. He walked around the Suburban. He gave me a hug and said, man, I sure love you. That's it. That is so lame. These are those stories we talked about last week where you don't tell them because you realize how stupid they are. Yeah, exactly. And then there's another, like, Rob, this chapter is all about Robinson. And then uh-huh. he, he goes on to tell the story about how he called Donald Trump a horse, I think. Maybe. <laughs> I, I don't really yes. know. He was He's like, a thoroughbred, like, secretariat. Yeah, you, you... yeah, secretariat with a broken leg, maybe. Yeah, the meekness that God has given you is as great as any of I've ever witnessed. That is not uh, true. And then he's like, any, anyone who ever described, <laughs> you'll ahead. win a triple crown. Like what? Yeah, anyone who ever describes Donald Trump as meek, you know, is no. biting their tongue as hard as they can. No, or Absolutely humble. Not. Any one of those words. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that was weird. Um, but then the Trump family reacted really well to that, yeah. uh, and yeah. they well, were that, texting, that what you just said. That was Robinson. apparently. That was apparently from uh, the the prayer that Robison gave in the church across the street from Mar or not from Mar-a-Lago from uh, the White House, apparently. So there, there's oh, okay. a across Lafayette Square. There's a church over there, and a, apparently it's a tradition to go there on inauguration day. And Robison was one, giving one of the prayers there, and so that's where you the get that little prayer. statement. He, he but gave of course, the the, the traditional yeah. horse prayer. Of course, Robison uh, uh, tells David about how everyone in the family was texting him to tell him how great his prayers were. How great he passed Which is like, (laughs) busted. During dinner, which means none of them were talking to each other. (laughs) Right, Right. and the problem is, we know this is a lie because this is attributed to Eric Trump. And he said, and I, Eric I immediately Trump was getting speak English. So. Right. I immediately began getting texts from Eric saying, Dad is talking about what you said. Everyone in the car is so grateful. Realistically, from Eric, it would have been lulls, hashtag emojis. How do I do emojis? I can't figure out emojis. That's <laughs> what Eric would have sent. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> that's definitely, definitely right. Uh, that, and then we have Robert Jeffers makes yes, another Jeffers the, the, makes another opinion. A lot of the rest appearance. of this chapter is a list of the different people who gave up who gave prayers at the inauguration. And you're yeah, right, Jeffers is the one the first one they talk about. But also I mean my my main takeaway for the rest of this chapter is there are like a total of five sources in this book. Cuz yeah. like they they cycle through it and like every like third chapter it's like and then mm. robert jeffress came in yeah <laughs> like, oh and, and we do we do get in the next chapter i'm sure you spotted it like i did the most blatant unsourced lie of this book uh in the oh, next chapter I, maybe I, not when we I get to very... it when okay. we get to it we'll see if you if you spotted it like i did but uh it was it was fantastic but right. uh, he says about jeffress and we talked about jeffress throughout this book already quote and Jeff- before and before because we were aware <laughs> yeah, of him as right? a shithead before <laughs> reading this book yeah but he says, quote, Jeffress was coming under attack from media outlets like the Washington Post. The, news pl- the newspaper claimed Trump was going to hear from a, quote, Southern Baptist pastor who has a history of inflammatory remarks about Muslims, Mormons, Catholics, and gays. And now, Jews. That, see, that, my only problem with that <laughs> quote from the Washington Post is it doesn't include Jews. Because he's yeah. also said inflammatory remarks about Jews. He has, uh, yeah. That's but David true. is praising Donald Trump here for not pulling Robert Jeffress from his inauguration, despite all of the terrible things he has said about name a group. Yeah, <laughs> about almost anyone. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> anyone not Christian. All right. Um, yeah, there's not much else in this chapter, really. It's, well, it's... so we get the, just so people know the other people who are listed here, uh, Franklin Graham, of course, because mm-hmm. he, he was there. 
Bishop Wayne Jackson, who I believe we talked about earlier in this book. Uh, this yep. is the Donald Trump black friend. Uh, Samuel Reverend Rodriguez, who's Samuel the Rodriguez, friend. Donald Trump's Hispanic friend. And then Paula White, who we have yep. talked about before, who is the prosperity gospel min- uh, minstrel. I almost said minstrel. Prosperity, <laughs> prosperity gospel minstrel. I'm just going with that because it's so <laughs> much better than minister. Minister. Uh, and they talk means. about her, her companionship and her, her friendship with Donald Trump and how her critics love to bring up her prosperity gospel. But what they don't understand is that her heart is for Jesus first and then for Donald Trump. Now, if you don't know what prosperity gospel is, I think we brought it up before. But it's yeah, literally the people who steal all the money from little old ladies and demand that they give their very last dime and claim that if they give the last dollar they have to the church, then God is going to come through for them and they're going to have a windfall of cash and get a whole ton of money. And, of course, that never works. So Paula White no. is a scumbag and is the pastor described in this book as one of Donald Trump's closest friends. Yeah, It's also, this. the book has now become very culty. Yes, like it's very it it, it, is. it is it is very much the cult of Trump, which, as you pointed out last week, is not how it started. I you know what uh, I I mean it started being mildly yeah, critical. I was looking ahead, and it's weird. Chapter thirty is just ingredients for Kool Aid. I don't know. I didn't get to the very end of it yet. There's like one. There's one ingredient on the last page I didn't. Oh, it's cyanide. It's cyanide. Uh, so why don't we move on? That was the end of chapter 26. Why don't we move on to chapter 27, which is titled, Gorsuch, A Time As This. Uh, my alternate chapter titles, Garland, A Time As This. Uh, I also, I have a second one, <laughs> which was Gorsuch, Gorsuch, Wicked This Way Comes, which I think is much, a much better literary, uh, analogy than, uh, than the no, one I used. Gar- Garland, A Time As This is very yeah, good. Right. I like that. Uh, I, I mine was literally the art of the stealing Supreme Court seats. Yeah, very good, very good. So, so of course, in this chapter, we're going to talk about how pro-life Donald Trump is. I almost said choice because we all know Donald Trump is actually pro-choice. He just goes with whatever makes him. More I mean, popular. he cer- he certainly was. It's like wild that his narcissism to be like <laughs> applauded tricked them into believing he was actually pro-life. Look, when it comes out, when, and I'm saying when. When we find out Donald Trump paid for one of his porn stars to have an abortion, I'm going to – I'm just going to walk out to the White House and I'm going to stand there and I'm going to point and laugh. I'm going to point and laugh at yeah. everyone I see wearing a cross necklace walking by. So That's what I'm going to do. The, the, the first All the MAGA hats. This, Go ahead. The first paragraph of this, I, I want to – let's just see if you can tell me what's wrong with this story <laughs> because this is this is about Donald Trump's – conversion mm-hmm. from being pro-choice yes. to pro-life yes. and i'm gonna i might drop a, su- a couple a couple of subtle hints mm-hmm. okay are you ready mm-hmm. so one of the reasons i changed one of the primary reasons a friend of mine's wife was pregnant in this case married she was pregnant and he didn't really want the baby <laughs> and he was telling me the story he was crying as he was telling me the story he ends up having the baby and the baby is the apple of his eye it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to him here's a baby that wasn't going to be let into life and i heard this and some of the stories they changed my viewers to that so, now, I have no idea did, did you what, spot it? what you're getting at with that there. <laughs> did, did you spot it? 
No, no. I think I think uh, well, you'll, you can tell me after the show. You can tell me what you meant by after <laughs> the show. Completely. I might edit that part out. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, no. Uh, I, I, there was some weird intonation there. I don't know. <laughs> but we get we get back after that paragraph. We jump back to something that he already wrote about earlier, right? He wrote about this very thing uh, two or three chapters ago, I think, which is Donald Trump's fake late term abortion story, right? Yeah, not true at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, he attributes that as the point when the pro-life leaders uh, decided to really back Donald Again, Trump. not true. They were behind him. Yeah, they were him. already they were behind, well behind him. him They're going to be behind the Republican. We know this. But they say it took a Manhattan male billionaire who was pro-choice most of his adult life to give the most impassioned defense of life I had ever heard from a presidential debate podium. Uh, which, I, I, look, he just made a story up. He or someone yeah, told him a fake story a to say happens. on the podium. Yeah, that's yeah, not an impassioned defense. It, it's like the. Do these people know what impassioned defense means? No. Are those no. two words very like? Have they seen Martin Luther King's speech? That was that was impassioned. That's what that word means. Yep. Figure it out. But they mm-hmm. describe Donald Trump and his pro-life agenda as a game of pro-life tackle football. Starting oh, cool. off with the reinstating cool. the pro-life Mexico City policy, which I would mention every Republican president has done since the Mexico City policy was policy was first instituted by Ronald Reagan. So it's not really surprising. All Donald did was slightly increase the scope of it. Great. Yeah. So, so of course they're getting he, they're criticizing Bush for his wife being pro-choice, mm-hmm. right? That's and his daughters, I believe, are very pro-choice. Crazy how women like autonomy of their they own tend bodies. Tend to be autonomous in the body. Yeah, yeah I that's know, it's weird. Uh. Like that. Um, but yeah, so they're they're saying old oh, Trump's much more. They didn't read enough Phyllis Schlafly. That's why. That's right. Um, yeah, they're saying pr- Trump's much more serious as a pro-life proposition mm-hmm. than than Bush was, even though Bush is. Bush. Right. Like, it's weird. But there, there's this one line here that I think is very eye-opening, where they quote Jerry Johnson, who is the president of the National Religious Broadcasters, saying the impact of this would be profound. And he said, quote, you've got all this money now being used to promote adoption and pro-life initiatives. Now, this is from people who say they just want money, federal money, to not go towards political issues, Right. Yeah. Which is is not true, obviously not true, because that's what they think is happening with the Mexico City policy, that money is being funded to pro-life side of the argument. But they also bring up that Charmaine Yost, I think that's how it's pronounced, uh, Y-O-E-S-T, was chosen as an assistant secretary of public affairs at Health and Human Services. And this being another signal to the religious right and the pro-life side about how pro-life Donald Trump is. But what it really shows, as with all the ones we talk about in the last chapter, is putting political hacks in positions where you should have experts. Because this is literally someone, she has never had a job that wasn't anti-abortion activist. That is what all of her jobs are. If you look at her Wikipedia page, they are all anti-abortion activists. And maybe she worked at McDonald's in high school, fine. But all of her other jobs are anti-abortion activists. So she has mm-hmm. no reason to be in the Department of Health and Human Services. Jesus yeah. Christ. Uh, no, and then they talk about the March for Life, which Mike Pence went to. Um, oh, okay. And yeah. Hugh Hewitt is, is waxing lyrical. Uh, ah, so you did miss it. You did I miss it. The... You missed... I Wait, one mm-hmm. sec. I, 
uh, maybe I did miss it. Yeah, I, I was skimming this bit. So all, um... Yeah, by the way, Hugh Hewitt can go fuck himself. But the, what I mentioned yeah. uh, a few minutes ago about the most bold fla- bold-faced, unsighted lie of the book is this sentence right here. In the pro-life community, there's no better place to do it, meaning support pro-life bullshit, than the annual March for Not Life rally sex. on the that, National Mall in Washington, D.C., which I am excited for because this year when it happens, or next year when it happens, I will show up uh, with my dead fetus coat. Uh, it will be a little chilly outside, you know, so I'll be wearing my dead fetuses uh, just to show everyone. Um, but they say uh, on the National Mall That's in Washington, so hundreds of thousands show up from all over the country. Many of them are students, and then this is the lie. That's not surprising considering recent polling shows a majority of millennials believe abortion should be illegal or only legal Uh, in cases of rape, incest, or to save the life of the mother. Well, that would be correct if you weren't looking at every single poll that all say otherwise because that's not true. In fact, they all show that the younger the group, the more they support abortion being legal in almost all cases. In fact, the 18 to 29 age group believes it should be legal or legal in almost all cases, 65% to 33, according to Pew Research. Uh, 30 to 49, 59% say it should be legal in almost all cases, to 40% saying it should be illegal in almost all cases. Now, maybe, maybe uh, David thinks that millennials are people who are 65 plus, because if you go to that age category, you still see that 53% of them say it should be legal in almost all cases, but 44% say illegal in almost all cases. I don't know. Maybe that's what he's saying. Maybe he's just a bold-faced liar. Maybe that's what he meant, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I I did miss that. But then, yeah, Pence goes to the March for Life. Blah, 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 blah. And then he talks about what Trump's done so far is great, but he hasn't, uh, He that, that there is more to be done, including right, the wish list, eliminating the wish list, right? all federal funding for Planned Parenthood. Right. Which is just like a, like a book, again. Like they call a that the big like, one, is, too. They call that the big yeah. one. The, he literally yeah, says, is, and of course, the big one, eliminate funding for Planned Parenthood, which doesn't yeah, make mean, sense to me. We talked about Planned Parenthood before. Right. In a previous chapter that actually like the vast majority of what they do, again, is not abortion related mm-hmm. services. Yeah. But they always claim that that's the case. Yeah. And they use that tricky language we talked about to try and claim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But and so that just doesn't make sense to me because it would seem to me that the big one in their eyes would be something like uh, legislation outlawing abortion across the country or getting the Supreme Court stacked with right wing ideologues like they mm. just got yesterday who will overturn yeah. Roe v. Wade and allow them to make abortion illegal. That would seem to me to be the big one. But I think it is sort of a media spiral where for so long Fox News, Breitbart, Christian Broadcasting Network, all the sources they read and listen to have told them that Planned Parenthood is the boogeyman. I think that's the it's the same Soros thing. They're the boogeyman. Yeah. Even though realistically it's ridiculous to think that they're that big a deal – uh, they've been told for so long that that's who we need to hate, and they start to hate them. Yeah. So, so they say that evangelicals are welcome, basically, in the White House mm-hmm. now in a way they've never, never been before. Uh, and then we go on to talk about Trump. Uh, he, Robert Costa says that what makes President Trump different than so many politicians <laughs> is that he doesn't really love to talk about politics <laughs> behind the scenes, which is because he doesn't know anything about politics. Exactly. That is the reason why that is. But the, I mean, the main, the main topic of this chapter is Gorsuch. And weirdly, mm-hmm. it's only like three pages of the chapter. Yeah. Uh, so I thought right, they titled it, they titled it Gorsuch's time as this, but he's barely in the chapter. 
Uh, but there is one, yeah. before we get to that, there is one thing I want to get to. Uh, two things, actually. First off, uh, just a quick quote from Michelle Bachman saying, quote, for too long, Christians have been excluded from the table in decision-making in Washington, D.C. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the table is in their house, and they don't allow any guests to yeah. sit at it. Yeah, uh, exactly. And secondly, uh, we get, and this is a thing that, that came to me throughout this book, and I, I maybe just realized it. We've gotten to relive all these moments that we went through during the campaign and the early days of the Trump presidency, right, that we've forgotten about. And the, yeah. the Coca-Cola story button is here in this chapter. And so this I just, is a really funny bit where Trump yeah. complains about only being given two meals a day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and they don't let him snack between meals, yeah. which is just yeah. really funny. Uh, so yeah, just those little things that we get reminded of uh, that I love. Uh, I wanted to bring that back up. So yes, the next thing we get to is the Supreme Court. And he even says... They say, enter Neil Gorsuch, stage right, emphasis on the word right. Yes. Which is what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Let's not pretend anymore. Like, mm-hmm. that is this is a right-wing justice, and they knew that. Yeah, but then we get a whole page, page and a half, of praise for how great Donald Trump was for picking Neil Gorsuch and how amazing Mm -hmm. this means he is and how pro-life he is because they know Neil Gorsuch is a pro-life right-wing hack, will overturn Roe v. Wade. But I just want to point out that, as we've mentioned before, and as everyone has mentioned, Donald Trump did not pick Neil Gorsuch. The Heritage Foundation and the Federalist Society chose Neil Gorsuch. Donald Trump was handed a list. Yeah, Trump was handed a list. He met with a couple people and picked the one he liked personally the most. That's what happened. So it was no, by no stretch of the imagination was there some great machinations going on in Donald Trump's mind as to who he would pick for Supreme Court of the United States and what message he would be sending by doing that. Yeah. But we get also something uh, that seems counterintuitive unless you are insane and, and uh, a, a right-wing evangelical hack, which is, quote, they say this, just, quote, We do know, however, that no amount of human works or ingenuity will solve the world's problems. Sin nature blocks that from happening. The root of the problem is spiritual. The question for our purposes here is, should that matter to an American president? And if so, will that person buy into the notion that our country needs serious prayer? So, are they saying there that there is nothing we can do to solve any of our problems, so why are we trying anyway? Or are they saying we need to get religion into the public square as much as possible and by excluding non-religious stuff i think yeah i mean that 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 is there's been a strain of that throughout this book is we need to get rid of secularism about yeah you know fame the america the only country that is actually supposedly famous for well france france France, yeah yeah, (laughs) militantly (laughs) so Yeah, often. Uh, But we talk about this national... And this is the thing. And, like, this isn't really an atheist podcast, but just, like, stupid... I mean, it is a podcast of atheists rather than atheist podcasts. If you want just just atheist talk, there's plenty of other great shows out there for you. We're just atheists talking the news. Yeah. So, but just, like, when I read things like this, and it's like, oh, well, you know, we need to do the National Day of Prayer for Hurricane Mm -hmm. Harvey... Because, you know, God would like that. God sent the fucking hurricane! You remember how everything got fixed after Harvey as soon as they did that National Day of Prayer, right? You remember how immediately everything was better, and that's why Donald Trump was able to pull the National Guard out of Puerto Rico and there was no problems after that? That was because of the National Day of Prayer. Yeah, I just want to make sure you didn't forget Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, No, I'll take this out. I'll take this out, because obviously we don't want this in the show where where you're being wrong because you're forgetting that everything was fixed after the National Day of Prayer that was announced. Yeah, we got it. Yeah, yeah. But there, look at that. 
that you're right. You're completely right. That was ridiculous. And, and yes, look, w- one of these shows we do need to talk. Uh, we need to talk about the atheist component of our show because even I get a little yeah. confused with it sometimes of how deep we're yeah. going on it. But let's leave that to the side for Not now. Not very, but just like when stupid stuff like that gets yes, thrown yes. around, it's just like, oh well, the prayer will fix exactly. things. Like, no, it fucking yeah. won't. Uh, but I, look, there's this there's this sentence in here that. I don't know why. Maybe I have a terrible mind. But I read this and I started to giggle. Um, And it's, quote, Look no further than that the Oval Office, where at times the regal room has been transformed into a glorified prayer closet. And then a quote, which is, I've never seen a president or a presidential candidate get preyed on as much as this guy did. Every time you turned around, he was getting preyed on. For sure, I can't recall a president of the United States bringing evangelical leaders in the Oval Office multiple times to pray with him. I just started to giggle because it's look. Am I the only one that read that and thought peeing on? Did I? Am I? Is that just me? You are, <laughs> but but when you read it out loud, it sounds like they're praying on his his. Yeah, yeah, that's also is, true. You know, that's also good. oh, it's really that good. It's really good. But the last thing we get, really, one of the last uh, big things is after the Hurricane Harvey stuff and Donald Trump, you know, being in office and blah, blah, blah. Again, they can never prove Donald Trump is religious because he never prays in front of anybody, only secretly behind the scenes. That's the only time he ever prays. He's a very private guy. Very private guy who does not open up his life to anyone, anyone at all. He doesn't tweet his every single thought out to the entire world. But we get this quote. Cynics might see all of this as a man who loves the camera even more so when prayer is involved. But those who understand him... Yeah, that's exactly yeah, it. Yeah, because that, that, only... Right, we get those staged, you know, people laying hands on Donald Trump and stuff like that. Um, but those who understand him best know otherwise. If he wasn't happy with it or didn't feel like it was important in his life, he would never allow it to happen. His longtime friend Michael Cohen said... <laughs> <laughs> The end. End of podcast. That's just too good. Oh man! It is. So yeah. uh, that is basically the end of this chapter. I will lead. I will read the last paragraph as I am wont to do, which is yes, he can be a little New York. They even spell it Y A W K. Rough around the edges. You bet. But don't lose sight of the fact that a man with billions of dollars and more power than you can ever imagine could easily have no interest in a connection with God. Instead, he seeks out men and women of God. That submit, that's, called submitting, that's called submitting yourself to spiritual counsel. He declares his faith in Jesus. He talks about praying, CBN's Pat Robertson said, a.k.a. David's boss. It's just simply astounding <laughs> to see what he's done. That's why I think the anointing of the Lord is on him. Uh, subscript, you should always obey your betters who have more money than you. Uh, four legs good, two legs better. Uh, all animals are equal, but some are born more equal. And that is the end of chapter 27 of The Faith of Donald J. Trump, a spiritual biography. Chapter
The Not Your Grandmother's Book Club podcast is a production of Kevin and Benedict Productions. Copyright 2020, all rights reserved. Music for this podcast is by Silverman Sound Studios. Find out more at silvermansound.com.